Hello, and welcome to I Am Dad podcast with your fatherhood authority, Kenneth Braswell. 30 minutes of wisdom, information, resources, and nuggets to help you on your fatherhood journey. Or maybe you're just curious and want to hear some real talk about fatherhood, family, and the minds of men. Well, guess what? We got you too. Sit back, grab your pad and pen, and maybe even bring a little something to sip on. Enjoy 30 straight minutes of fatherhood, family, and fun with the fatherhood authority. Kenneth Braswell. Welcome to I Am Dad Podcast. I'm your host, Kenneth Braswell. Thank you so much for joining me again for another episode as we talk about all things fatherhood. And so, and family and children and relationships and marriage and hookups and all those kinds of things that we get involved with as humans on this thing we call Earth, right? And so there's all kinds of conversations that can be had. Uh, We've had so many different conversations on so many different areas of responsible fatherhood since we started the show, you know, some six months ago. And, you know, as I continue to do this, so many um, folks send me text messages and email messages and say, can you talk about this? Can you talk about that? and trying to squeeze them all in, but we're trying to do something unique with I Am Dad podcast where we really want to give voice um, to the field of responsible fatherhood and those that are in the space who've been toiling in this field and working with dads and parents and children and really trying to figure this thing out so that we can have a repository of voices and information that people can glean on uh, when they are dealing with a particular issue. And so this issue today is something that has impacted me over the last um, few months as I've seen some things, been involved in some things, had our fathers deal with some things, and then it kind of crescendoed for me seeing a headline um, here in Atlanta where a father um, murdered his child um, and then turned the gun on himself and murdered himself with a child in the back seat um, of the car. And I don't know what it was about that particular story and where my headspace was at that time, but that thing impacted me some kind of way and I have not been able to shake it. And as I continue to think about my work, I'm trying to figure out what is it that Fathers Incorporated can do? What is it that I Am Dad podcast can do to elevate this conversation? And they're really kind of putting my mind around conceptualizing what I saw so that it makes sense within the context of the work that I do. And so my guest today is someone that I respect and admire um, who works for another good friend of mine. And we've been toiling in this space together for some 17, 18 years together doing this work. Um, I'm so appreciative and um, respectful of the work that they do. Uh, Ms. Sherry Doherty is with Child Find of America Parent Help Program. She's the director of the Parent Help Program and lead trainer. She supervises a casework team addressing missing child matters, local efforts or location efforts, legal options, family conflict, parenting skills, and parenting apart. She's a seasoned mediator and certified New York State victim advocate and paralegal with expertise in child abuse, um, exploitation, 
um, sex trafficking, divorce, parenting apart, interpersonal violence, and mediation methodologies. Um, along with direct services, Ms. Doherty conducts trainings for family service providers, legal and mental health professionals, parents, um, educators, um, and school staff, child welfare agencies, NGO grantees, and others on issues related to family conflict, denied access and missing children, parenting skill building, domestic violence, and fatherhood-related issues. She specializes in crafting experimental and engaging workshops on often difficult subjects. Um, she has served her community as a volunteer mediator, recreation commission chair, um, and a member of the parent teacher um, and youth dance theater board. She and her husband has raised three lovely wise cracking daughters and therefore both appreciate and lament their empty nest. Sherry, thanks so much for joining me. How you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Kenny. And so, you know, it's when this thing hit me, you know, the first people I thought about um, was, you know, you know, Donna, who then said, um, Sherry is the best one to talk about that. And I said, you know what? I always forget that she is out here um, in this space uh, with us and has the ability to kind of talk about these things and probably more closer to the subject matter than any of us. And so, um, you know, when this case kind of hit and when I saw it, um, it just resonated so deeply with me. And as I try to, you know, figure out like what piece of this elephant I want to bite because it's really, really big. Um, I started kind of thinking about, and I always think about cause first. Before I start thinking about the act itself, I start thinking about cause. And so when I was thinking about, because it didn't take a rocket science to kind of figure out what happened with this father because the news reports were um, that they were called to a domestic violence incident in one county and then the next part of the story was they found him in a they 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 tracked him down and they found him in another county uh, with his children and then when they surrounded him um, that's when he um, shot one of the children that was sitting in the front seat and then turned the gun mm -hmm. on himself um, but did not harm the one that was in the back seat. And I started walking through that process and a couple of things, Sherry, um, popped up for me. Um, and that was what must be the traumatic mindset of an individual that can hate someone more than they love their children? Oh, that, it, it's a very, very complex um confusing scenario for anyone to wrap their head around something like filicide filicide is the uh, murder of a daughter or son mm. um we can look at patterns and and we can make guesses about what was going on Un unfortunately the element of the story that as you tell it Kenny I don't I'm not familiar with that particular um incident unfortunately it's common enough across the country that perhaps we see one a week one a month at least somewhere mm -hmm. uh where there's been some filicide in the context of a custody visitation issue specifically mm -hmm. and we can only 
and take what we know from the news reports and then add our expertise um, and make some educated guesses. But one thing that pops up it, that comes to mind specifically when there's been uh, a domestic violence is loss of control. It is the, the um, someone who is abusive having lost control, having an order of protection, um, being told he can't see his children in on the continuum of of conflict all the way up through abuse, that's way at the top. That's mm -hmm. way at the top. So the work that we do, we like to get on board that train um, much earlier. So I really appreciate that you are wondering what can your group do? Mm -hmm. How can you get involved somewhere in this process? Because that's unthinkable. Mm -hmm. And anything that any practitioner can do that can alleviate some of what's possibly going to happen by educating ourselves, understanding the pathology of um, these dynamics, this high conflict stuff is a great place to start. Yeah. Before we go any further, take a step back though. I want people to kind mm -hmm. of understand what you guys do because you do so much more. Um, for those of you who don't know, um, Sherry's organization, Child Find of America is actually a subcontractor of one of our federal contracts and they provide for us a 1-800, it's not 1-800, but 1-800 for lack of people understanding 188 and 888 and all those other kind of things. Um, yeah. Hotline for us, for dads to call um, when they're in need. But the core of our agency has a different um, mission and that mission is more specifically around missing children. Um, and finding missing children. Can you talk a little bit about that work and, and what you do in that space? Sure, sure. Uh, Child Find actually is the oldest still, still existing missing child agency in the entire world, or mm. not. We, uh, we predate the National Center. We go back to 1980, uh, where a parent had a child taken, was forced to send the child for a visit uh, the judge said, you're going to lose custody if you don't. And so as soon as the other parent got the child, the child was gone over overseas. It was eight years before this child was reunited. And so at the time, there were no laws. There was no remedy. People said, what's the big deal? The child's with a parent. So eventually, we were able to learn about um, the tragedy of parental abductions, uh, the reasons for parental abduction. So the bulk of our work, is, I would say that at, uh, an estimate is between 250 and 400,000 parental abductions a year. Mm. Um, so most of us think about missing children, we think about stranger abductions, that number is closer to about 100. So if you took many, many, say, packed football stadiums many times over and filled them with left-behind parents, that would be more accurate And versus just the, the unspeakable tragedy of a, a parental abduction. But 
luckily they're few and far between and they will obviously get the most press. Mm -hmm. The largest numbers of missing children are runaways and what we call thrown aways. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a terrible phrase, but it means that the child was thrown out of the home before the age of majority, mm. before 18. Okay. Um, so we work to prevent and resolve. So that means we have to do a lot of stuff, a lot, a lot of work around prevention, which is a relationship really with um, the fatherhood group and with other agencies um, where there isn't a missing child, that work is meant to address the conflict so that we don't see something like what you just described, Kenny, that, you know, that tragedy, but also to just remember, remind people they were a family and having outside intervention from law enforcement, from the courts, from attorneys, from other you know people in their lives sometimes that just is a runaway train mm -hmm. also so we like to get back in we have mediation skills when it's appropriate it is not always appropriate or possible we have the ability to discuss legal options and explain how systems work mm -hmm. we search for resources we help to find to build people up to find almost like buffers to make sure that these people aren't doing harm to themselves or the other members in their family, particularly the children. Our mission is to keep children in a safe and legal environment. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that, you know, I attempted to do, I do with everything that I'm engaged in, particularly in the space of responsible fatherhood, because there's so many sensitive mm -hmm. issues that we have to find ways to um, talk about these things in a way that we move towards solution and not blame, right? Um, to be able to quote and speak about resource and statistics responsibly. I'm really big on um, if you're going to quote a statistic, a statistic about anything, um, quote it responsibly and quote it uh -huh. in truth and be uh -huh. mindful and be respectful of saying when you're only telling half of the story, right? And so one of the things for me in this space always when it comes to things that happen like this is making sure that that making sure that I reconcile the difference between an act and a behavior, right? Those are two different things. So there are people that can do heinous things in an act that doesn't match with their behavior, doesn't match yeah. with who they mm -hmm. are, which means mm -hmm. that you have to kind of make sure that you don't attach the act to their behavior, because if you attach it to their behavior, then you can do a broad brush on everybody that does not have that connecting mm -hmm. behavior as someone who has the propensity to engage in that act, right? And so that's yes, the place yes. that we yeah. deal with, particularly in the domestic violence field and the child, mm -hmm. abuse, child abuse space and those kind of things like that. Mm -hmm. And so when you have come across those things, um, Sherry, where you're looking at these horrible headlines, and like you said, they're the things that drive um, you know, the public 
conversation around these things and also create um, the fear when it comes to working with fathers and talking about connecting them with their children, that they're folks that uh, rightfully so may come into it with this level of fear about the whole notion of connecting fathers because again, they're not thinking about behavior and men, they're thinking about these acts that have that has framed how they think about dads, right? And so mm -hmm. as an agency that's working primarily with um, these children, how do you guys reconcile um, being immersed in those kinds of stories and knowing at the same time that you have to bring some level of normality to what is really going on so that you can actually mm -hmm. work in an effective way. Right. Oh, I agree with you and so much of what you just said. Um, one thing we do is, and we're lucky enough to be able to do it, is we we treat every case as if it's in a bubble. So kind of balancing those things that you were talking about, Kenny, it, we would we would want to know who this family is. We want to know who this mom is, who this dad is, who this child is, who the extended family are. The first question we ask when we do an intake, which seems a little strange to people, it takes them a, a little aback. Uh, when did you meet? Where did you meet? What, did you live together? What happened to the relate? You know, we really want to know the history I can I can have a statistic in my head that um, you know very often when I hear this red flag, that's commonly in this dynamic child abuse or sex trafficking or but we don't we don't jump to the conclusion that that's what we're looking at. We call that a probing point. So pretty much what we do is we try to understand the very specific family we all want to be considered unique. So we don't want to uh, make an assumption that we know what we're looking at because DV is, is common in so many situations where someone comes home and, sh and the mom is gone with the children. That happens a lot in DV situations, but we don't know that that's what happened here, you know, with this particular caller. Mm -hmm. So we get to, uh, ask for stories. We just want to know families. We want to know the stories. If somebody, one of the problems is if someone doesn't give us accurate information and we say, okay, so based on what you told me, you can do this, you can do this, and you can do this. You know, we don't tell people what to do or give advice, but we say with that, no understanding that information and where you are in the country and legally, these are your options. These are our services. If somebody isn't telling us there's an order of protection saying you he or she can't have contact with the other parent and third party contact and we reach out, that parent is violating an order and can get thrown into jail. So do no harm. Uh, we, not, we do not jump to conclusions, which is very, very, very difficult um, to not do. But the more we do this, I think it's important to admit the less you know um, about whoever's on the phone. You, we can't do exactly what you were saying shouldn't be done, which is 
think that because this happens all the time, that must be what this guy is doing. Um, so luckily, we we can take our time. We don't close cases, by the way. Right. Uh, we have cases. Yeah, I have. I can I tell you about my case right now that I'm really excited about. Um, sure. I I'm gonna just uh, fib on what part of the country, and I'm right, not gonna right, use right. names. Mm -hmm. But we were contacted over a year ago by a dad who said when his he had a kind of a friendship relationship with this woman who had a, other children, um, and he has several other children. And they had a baby together. He was at the birth. I believe he signed the acknowledgement of paternity. He is the legal father. You know, they both they both have to sign that for that him to be on the birth certificate. The baby was a few months old, and they were planning. They were having a nice thing, you know, back and forth. And one day she took off, and the baby was only a few months old. By the time he called us, a decade had passed. And he has been looking for this little boy wow. for 10 years. Mm -hmm. And we have access to certain databases. And I found her quickly, mm. um, rather quickly, actually. So we did several things. We uh, tried to gather more information. We reached out, reached out to family. I invited her to call us, did Anyway, it's a bit over a year and a half, and he's in the point where the he's in court. He's actually working on him reuniting. There are complications. Um, this mom was in an abusive marriage after she left him. She was with this guy who also seems to um, be a a racist and this child is biracial it's her only biracial son child and so uh, her you know I, I don't know what why she hid him but i do know that at this point um this child is about to be find out that he was lied to that this man has been looking for this little boy um, I actually found a picture of him on Facebook and I sent it to my caller and he was so joyful because this boy looks exactly like another one of his little sons. Mm -hmm. um, and so this is just on the precipice of happening, but I cannot like stress enough how you have to stay with it mm -hmm. because the judge wanted, wanted this and then she got an attorney and then he was given an attorney and then they're talking about reunification and then there's allegation. I mean, it's, it, it's a process, but I mean, my fingers are crossed that within the next month, he's going to get to see his son for the first time. Wow. And you know, it's, yeah. it's interesting because, you know, and I think I shared with you um, the other day, the video that was posted on one of our websites of the father who was um, in a situation with the mother of his child and his children yeah. and the police. And Sherry is crazy because, you know, watching that, it was so heart wrenching to watch it. Um, and you yeah. could feel a particular way about what was going on. Um, but we ended up catching up with him. I saw it and then I um, sent him a DM and said, please give us a oh. call um, at our oh. office. And he did. Um, he it, almost immediately when I send it, um, he said, what's the number? And I gave him the number and he called and he spoke to um, our program director. 
And what we learn, Sherry, from the incident that's on the page is that um, he was married, um, they had children, they were separated. Um, the mother had, I believe, some mental issues going on. And she was, um, he, he stopped short of saying abusive. He said, it, it was so cool because he wasn't trying to bash her. He was just trying to manage the situation. Right. And he said um, that she was neglectful. He didn't say that she was abusive. He said that she was neglectful. Um, and some of that stemmed from her mental conditioning. And one of the things that he was dealing with is he, every time he had the children, on the day that it was time for them to go home, that they would have really visceral reactions to going home. They did not want to go. And he kind of felt like he was, because of his, um, because of his parenting time, um, order he had to take them home because she was so unstable that if he did she did he didn't she would call the cops on him so he was very mindful mm -hmm. and he kind of mm -hmm. felt like he was force feeding his children into a situation and he had no power and he kept going to court and the judge would not listen to anything that he was saying so yeah. the night that this on the day that this video occurred he had decided at this point that since no one is listening to me, I'm going to keep them this day and force her to get law enforcement to come in. So he decided not to take them to the home. And true to his word, she called the cops, the cops came over, and then you saw unfold all the things that yeah. unfolded. Yeah. It was, and so my staff and I had a conversation about the video and I said, this is a perfect example of why you don't jump to conclusions because as a fatherhood agency, we can jump behind him 1000%. But until you know the whole story, yeah. publicly, you got to be able to let all parties involved understand what they did right and what they did wrong. And yeah. so, but he was very conscious of the fact that at that point, he was breaking the order, but that was why yeah. he was so calm at this at the in the video saying, "You're going to forcefully take them because I'm not going to be a part of you taking them out of the house." He understood uh -huh. what uh -huh. to do, but uh -huh. what resonated and struck with me is you know this whole notion as I began to start looking and searching around the web and looking for you know, what could be the possible issues and then listening to the tens of thousands of dads that I've spoken to over the course of my career, um, this word parental alienation kept popping up. Mm -hmm. Right. And so always knew what it meant, always kind of knew what it was about, but didn't know the history of it, didn't know where it was in the space until a couple of weeks ago, I started doing some serious digging into this. Yeah. The things that I thought about as I was looking um, at some of the papers that are out there and some of the conversations is that <clears throat> one could agree that hate drives people to do some unspeakable things. But you know what? So does love. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Love also drives you to do unspeakable things right uh -huh. so when we're looking at individuals who are engaging in those kinds of behavior 
you can't always assume that the stimulator of that is hate. Sometimes mm-hmm. the stimulator of that is I love my kids so much that I got to do yeah. something unspeakable in order to, to make my point. And so yeah. when I started looking at parent parental alienation, um, and I want you to kind of talk about it a little bit from your okay. perspective and what it is and what it looks like. But before you do it, I want to kind of put some context around where I'm going. Okay. What I began to start thinking about is that, again, I told you earlier that I always look for cause. I don't look for at the issue. I look for cause. And so the, for me, the thing is, what causes someone to engage in parental alienation? And the answer that I kept coming up with was parental conflict. That Mm -hmm. conflict is always a stimulator to Mm -hmm. things like domestic violence, child abuse, parental alienation. All these things are stimulated by two parents that are in conflict for some reason or another, whether it is abuse, control, any of those kinds of things that when relationships are in conflict, all kinds of things can happen underneath here, including uh-huh. parental alienation. So what it allowed me uh-huh. to do is to not lean so heavy on trying to speak about this one thing that was occurring, but to take my space up a notch and talk about, to your point earlier, what is it that Fathers Incorporated can do and how can we play a role in reducing things like parental alienation, domestic violence, child abuse, and all of these other uh, things? <clears throat> you know what? Deal with parental conflict. Teach yeah. individuals how to manage conflict when yeah. they are at odds with each other. That if I yeah. can do that, then I can reduce the amount of things that happen in the place of alienation. So when a father talks to me about mom um, not allowing him to see the child or telling them that he's a deadbeat and telling him this and telling them that and then hearing that from his children and then he tells the children something else and then they go back and tell the mom and then it's this verbal feud between the two Uh using their children Uh as pawn going back and forth I can lean him off of a little bit thinking about the parental alienation part of it and say, the reason that you're having this issue is because you're in conflict. Uh You have to resolve conflict. That if you Uh can resolve conflict, that is less likely that she's going to talk about you the way that she's talking about you and you're talking to her the way that you're talking about her, right? And so that's kind of how I was reasoning in my head how to deal with this one little specific thing by looking at the cause of it as opposed to the issue itself. Talk to us a little bit about parental alienation because you hear a lot of people use the term and there's a lot of stuff around it. There is a lot of stuff around it. (laughs) Just one, um, one thing that is really, really interesting. One of my mentors, when I became a divorce mediator 140 years ago, mm-hmm. um, this psychiatrist had uh, pointed out that during the divorce process, and it, honestly, it doesn't have to be divorce. It could be the break of a relationship. It could be the taking away of the, you know, the children not living in one home. Um, 
emotions are exacerbated. So if you're fearful, that fear might become panic. Uh, if you're sad, that normally becomes depression. If you're uh, um, suspicious, that's paranoia. Uh, it's basically, it goes up to 11, right? Mm -hmm. So whatever normal emotions people experience on day-to-day -day with challenges that we have of normal stress, not toxic stress, just like normal stress, mm -hmm. put it in the context of, say, a divorce or custody battle, and those things ramp up. Yes. Um, so number one, conflict, high conflict, high sustained conflict, very often has to do with somebody getting stuck in one of those spots or all of those spots. So that the feeling, as you can imagine, of feeling betrayed, we have a lot of callers where there's been infidelity. You don't just one day wake up and say, oh, I'm over it. It's all good now. So you're right. You, you absolutely have to work with these parents on what's happening to you. It's it's normal. You know, there's something called broken, broken heart, not disease, but there's a phenomenon that when there's a very bad breakup is the cardiomyopathy mm -hmm. um, can be the result. That's literally a broken heart. People can die from right. not having that. So your body, your mind, your soul, your your optimism, your opportunities, everything in your life, suddenly, because there's this break from your children, from the other parent, um, it's intense. And so within that, within within like the normal kind of breakup stuff, I, I know this is going to be a surprising, it's not a statistic as much as um, uh, the numbers of where parents actually civilly work things out between the two of them versus these super duper high conflicts things that you and I probably see um, on a regular basis in lieu of all the other stuff, we're not going to get calls from people to say, Hey, Kenny, you know, I just want to let you know, I don't know you. I don't need your agency. Everything is fine. <laughs> they're going to call you and they're not going to call us. Hey, my child's not missing. I just wanted to say hi. Um, so you and I and people in our field are going to see about a hundred percent of the time of people who come to us about 5%. A five to ten percent uh, of the numbers of people who met who aren't living together anymore who separated, mm -hmm. they're doing okay for the most part. So number one is not to normalize this the that five to ten percent as being the norm because it's not. Right. That doesn't mean these are low numbers. I mean these numbers are through the roof. Absolutely. So. Yeah. So number one, I guess, would be to recognize you're dealing with somebody who who the limbic system, like in the brain, breaks, releases crazy hormones and chemicals and there's panic, you know, and you want to you want to fix it. You want to, like, put that broken thing back together if we don't understand on top of that, like within that umbrella, 
that family conflict, that parental conflict umbrella, if we don't understand the dynamics of that particular dad and that particular mom, we're gonna miss something. Mm -hmm. So when we say, and I'm gonna get to parental alienation. Okay. Um, when we put a label on it, Mm -hmm. like parental alienation, what if, what if that child was being molested? What a lot of children who've been, um, abducted by a parent are abducted either by a protective parent to keep that child safe, or the other parent often who is molesting that child or abusing or was abusive and needs to maintain control. That's not, I'm not saying 50-50. It's, there's a lot of reasons people abduct, but those are common. Mm. Those are within parental abductions. The numbers of domestic violence are well uh, close to 60, 65% of the time, po- possibly more. Mm. So number one, we have to know what we're looking at. Um, uh, if you could imagine that there, say there's a pediatrician and he comes up one day with a bottle of pills and on the pills, he names it ABC. Mm-hmm. And he decided not through clinical research, not through peer-reviewed work, uh, he decided, you know, I'm going to give kids this ABC pill. And he makes a ridiculous amount of money on these pills. And he says the reason that uh, this kid is sick is because it's the parent's fault. The parent is causing the illness, so I'm going to do the ABC. We discover... um, that this person had uh, very, very unfortunate attitudes towards pedophilia Mm. and felt that it was overblown and it's better to molest a child than to question a child about being molested. And children are comfortable with um, that kind of incest and sometimes they initiate it themselves. So once this starts to come out, Mm. Um, a lot of professional organizations said, well, hold, hold up, you know, no more ABC pills. <laughs> There's a bunch of people who picked up the pill bottle. They took a piece of duct tape and they put it over the seat. Mm. Now it's AB pills, mm. same pills. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, a lot of people were duped into believing, okay, AB pills are very different than ABC pills because the C is gone. Um, and I, you know what I'm talking about here. Um, uh, that was parental alienation syndrome by this doctor who was was refuted and debunked. Um, they suddenly dropped the word syndrome because the Diagnostic Statistical Manual of Mental Health Illnesses, which has ranged between 150 and 300 diagnoses, studied the living daylights out of this, and and just just basically eventually had to say, no, it's not. It doesn't belong in the diagnostic manual. So then people picked up the pills and they say AB. There were organizations that said, oh, AB is uncomfortable with all the bad press. We're going to name it XYZ. That is resist, refuse dynamics. So basically, 
The World Health Organization, the American Psychiatric Association, the American Medical Association, the National Council of Juvenile and Family Court Judges have said, no, stop using the term because it's more commonly used, unfortunately, by abusers. It almost, I, I think we only need to think about this is there are many, many, many instances, thousands and thousands across the country that we can look into. There actually is a study finally being done with about 4,000 cases for the first time and actually an, an actual statistically, empirically, you know, uh, thoughtful one. But there was a 16-year-old boy who was put into the hands of his abuser by this doctor, by the ABC doctor, and he hung himself. Mm -hmm. um, so the, our fear is that parental alienation makes the assumption that we can't believe the children and we have to believe the children. We, we absolutely have to because they've discovered that intentionally false allegations of sexual abuse within the context of custody visitation, excuse me, um, the only longitudinal study done on this was done in Canada, 1.3% of the time, those are intentionally false allegations. So if we, I, we've had too many cases to be comfortable with this. If, if we want to help families keep people safe, help good, safe parents be involved, both moms and dads, um, we have to understand this family and strip off labels because we might have put it on the wrong kid. Mm. So, like, if it could you imagine, like, going to a doctor and the guy before you had rutabaga disease, and you walk in and he's like, Kenny, you got rutabaga disease. <laughs> and 97 people after you walk in, it's like, guess what you have? You got rutabaga disease because I just discovered rutabaga disease. So it's 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 so and I know that there's a lot of people out there that wouldn't agree. We deal with denied access. We deal with parental abductions. We deal with violations of court orders. We deal with people who keep their kids from safe parents. We deal with people who keep their kids from unsafe parents. Mm -hmm. So every approach has to be very specific and very tailored to that family. Parental alienation doesn't let you do that. It says, everybody, you, you got this. Mm -hmm. But you are so dead on about the conflict stuff. And there's a there's a lot of work to be done on um, understanding where conflict comes from. I will tell you the the worst word we hear, mm -hmm. unreasonable. Dad's unreasonable. Well, Mom's unreasonable. Gotcha. What does it mean? Yeah. It means you don't have it means you don't have a reason. Right. Everybody has a reason. This is my mediator core coming at <laughs> you. Everybody has a reason. Find out the reason find yeah, the yeah. reason no, that believe helps. the children yeah yeah that helps that helps it and I, I i i get it i get it now mm -hmm.
But it's also okay. it's now, but it's also helping me still frame this whole concept of parental confidence. Yeah. It's really helping me because what I'm hearing you say, just like I'm trying to lay out, is that there's mm -hmm. a whole bunch of things up underneath here that parental conflict create. And that what you're saying yeah. is that you have to look at them individually. I think one of the things where the term gets kind of messy and people begin to kind of use it to your point to use it as mm -hmm. a um, as a stance to unreasonableness, which is um, where dads feel like their children are being manipulated or used yep. as pawns, right? Those yep. are, and, and that typically gets attached to the term parental alien. Yep. Where yep. And that happens. Right. Mm -hmm. What you're saying is no, deal with it what it is. The child is being manipulated, right? Uh -huh. And so you can believe what the child is saying, but also in context, understand why that child is saying what that child is saying and dig a little deeper. Yeah, do some, yeah, get a forensic interviewer in there, get, get some expertise. Unfortunately, we saw a cottage industry of people who wrote books on parental alienation and suddenly they're, be, they're getting paid thousands and thousands of dollars to testify, just like the doctor who wound up committing suicide actually eventually. But there's, um, it's, it, we, we have to not use a jackhammer, we have to use a microscope. Right. And, and that parental alienation claim is a jackhammer. And if, if we are responsible to put one child back in the hands of somebody who's molesting that child, we shouldn't be sleeping at night. Mm. So super, super important to take the information in, use your expertise, don't jump to conclusions, um, and just understand that we have to give people the thing that we need the most in, in life mm -hmm. is your family is unique. Mm -hmm. I, my family is really unique. Um, not really more than yours. Um, <laughs> but basically <laughs> is that we have to give that to our dads. We have to give that to our moms. Right. But I, it's I, I, yeah, the number of grandparents that we have at this point where there's no parents involved has just gone through the roof. Yeah, absolutely. Also, yeah. Yeah. It's important, I believe, though, you know, particularly as someone who is seen to be a leader in this fatherhood space, um, mm -hmm. arguably debate, you know, whether I am or not. And so, um, but it is important, at least to me, to have the conversation, right? To, 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 to talk about it, to begin to start figuring out like what is happening, you know, with our parents and why um, mm -hmm. are they struggling with um, conflicts that can't be resolved? And we know a lot of it, to your point, has to do with the affairs of the heart, right? And so, and, 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 and how one feels about their heart being broken, you know, whether or not it is from your spouse or from your own parents, what does that look mm -hmm. like or from your children, mm -hmm. from your life? And then how that stuff is then manifested in one's life in terms of their response to that brokenness, right? Mm -hmm. And so when you are talking and listening to some of these parents, like, what is it, what are we missing in the parental relationship space that needs to be done 
you know, as we grapple with trying to at least understand what's taking place? Oh, yeah, that's a great, great question. And the answer is enormous, <laughs> but, but doable. It's doable. It's, it's understanding wraparound services. So I might have someone who is struggling with substance use. Um, and they're, they're being evicted from their apartment and there's conflict with extended relatives and there has been, you know, other kind of, you know, environmental or health or, you know, work related issues is we build, we build, like you have to come at it from the bottom up, from the top down and from the sides. Like we have to wrap around this person. Like it, we could we could work with somebody who wants to get visitation, but doesn't have a place to live. Mm. So how could you do one of those? Like how can we say, okay, we'll help, we'll you know give you the information about paternity and parenting time, and here's resources and self help. You know, doesn't have a place to bring a child or a safe place, or there's extended relative who is involved in some way. So basically pull in the people who are support systems, find out what's legitimately on the ground that's gonna help these people. Because the, I think one of the worst things a practitioner can do is give out a phone number and those people either don't answer or mm -hmm. don't do that anymore. They've yeah. lost their funding, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. I I sent a dad to a very, very well-known hotline um, who had been molested as a child and needed someone to talk to. And the person who answered said, we, we don't uh, talk to men. And mm -hmm. so I got on the phone rather quickly and <laughs> spoke with someone there uh, to discover that person just simply wasn't trained well enough. Um, so it's, we have to watch our referrals. I, you refer to somebody that takes their money and then just they're in the same or worse position than they were before. There are plenty of professionals who will take someone's money and things don't improve. Now they're in a worse position. So I think it's finding resources that are real, finding ways to build people up, but also teaching positive parenting skills, teaching about communication. It, when you see a family and like you're saying, they're just, they're banging head, they're just constant conflict, conflict between these two parents. One of them might not talk to us. You might are probably not gonna get with both of them. Mm -hmm. You can talk with the other parent about re creating a pattern of behavior to the point where one day, three months, three years, the other parent's gonna realize, whoa, wait a second. And he's, he's not a jerk anymore. <laughs> like <laughs> suddenly he's not like insulting. <laughs> he's not insulting me anymore. So you have that power too. You have the power to like to just make somebody the best possible role model he can be. Things do get better after that. You know, once you kind of re-empower people to say, you know, parental alienation disempowers people. It says there's nothing you can do. We say the opposite. 
if if you had anything to do with getting yourself into that situation, you're lucky because that means you have some power to get yourself out. Right. You know, one of the things, Sherry, as you're talking and as we close, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, being individuals that kind of do a lot of our work in the margins, right? You know, where the intensities of these situations tend to live. Um, The question for all of us is how do we apply um, self-care to ourselves, our mental, own mental self-care to kind of keep a Mm -hmm. level head in working in situations that could oftentimes be extremely stressful? Like, what do you do for your Mm -hmm. own self-care? Other than chocolate (laughs) or um, (laughs) sweets. Um, It's so interesting that I I think about that a lot. And I realize the people that I work with are so extraordinary um, that um, we give give that to each other, that you can tell when somebody is like about to jump off a cliff. I feel like the work is so extraordinary that I would never get tired of this ever, ever, ever. But I sure might feel overwhelmed by the number of cases I walk in. I'm like, ah, um, and and you you feel it crushing on you. So I think that it ultimately, um, I think you have to surround yourself by people who understand what you're going through and who let you stop talking for a day if you need to but we don't have other options where we are we're a small office we are nationwide we do international cases we get lots of calls we don't want to say no to anybody so i think we just have this very interesting dynamic where it's like uh oh somebody will look at my face and realize um i'll I'll take that (laughs) i'll take that case you know they kind of um Interestingly, we all have cases that we feel like we don't want to take for some reason. It's it's a trigger, so we just we grab them from each other that way. I think that I think it's about my the support staff that we have at Childmind. Nice. Well, you got. I don't know if you found something magical. You got to let me know because other than ice cream, I don't know what else. Yeah, I think the thing that you said is the thing that will go over most people's heads um, but mm. I think is the most critical piece in self-care and that's mindfulness yeah um, that yeah. is being acutely aware of you and where you are in the moment and to your point about triggers knowing what your triggers are um, yeah. what those um, things that can send you off the deep end and I think yeah. the other um gift, talent, if you will, um, that the best of us are able to do is to make sure that those people who are closest to us also understand what our triggers are. Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yoga doesn't hurt either, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, a good trip to Hawaii won't hurt, you know. Oh, a new car. Right. Distance. (laughs) Right. So if you can't get physical distance, like you're saying, mindfully get some mental distance. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. 
So yeah, tell people right. how they can get in touch with you if folks are listening and they it's something about sure. this resonates with them and they want to get in contact with you. Let's tell everybody how to get in touch with Child Sure. Find. Yep. Childline's number is easy to remember. It's one eight hundred I am lost. So that's one eight hundred four two six five six seven eight. And we are. It, we will call back the very next business day if we don't answer the phone. We have a very, very quick turnaround for callers. We don't want people to wait, so. Absolutely. Thank you so yeah. much for everything you do. Thank you for answering my call to come on and talk about this because I just felt like it is so important to talk about um, if there's ever any issues or ever anything that we can talk about. One of the other things that I'm gonna um, call on you probably in a couple of months to talk about is mediation. I've heard oh, that gosh. a lot and I know I actually oh, yeah. bring you, I've told my staff that I want you guys to train. I want you to train my staff. I want you to create certified mediators of all of my staff. And so I will be calling uh, about Yeah, that. sorry, that that's so exciting. I just, yeah, <laughs> mediation to me is, uh, yeah, if you thought this was a long conversation, wait till we hit mediation. Yeah, 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 no, so <laughs> back. I'll be calling you about talking about mediation. Okay. Because it is such okay. a, I'm a, I'm a huge uh, proponent of, of mediation. It helped me uh, with my youngest daughter and our mom, and it was a lifesaver. Um, oh, man, nice to hear. Yeah. Unbiased yeah. individual. And so right now, all yeah. of my staff, except for a couple, and they will be by the end of next year, um, are yeah. all now certified life coaches. All of them are certified. Oh, perfect, um, perfect. Yeah, I, yeah. I so appreciate that. You know, just professional development mm -hmm. is another, the other thing, obviously, is make sure our, our staff uh, are just brought up to the most recent available information that will benefit these families. Absolutely. They're all yeah. management specialists. They're all, we've, ah, cool. I, I yeah. sent them through. They all are now ordained. They all can perform both marriages and funerals, like my entire staff, ah. like really crazy. But the ah, one okay. this to, to get them. I'm adding, thanks. I'm going to add that in my list of things. I just took a two day women's carpentry class. Did I'm going to add being, Doing funerals and weddings. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did actually. And I did. So, I've got a circular saw coming for the holidays. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> so being mediators is the next thing that I want to be able to kind of add to okay. uh, the strength of Fathers Incorporated and being able for these guys to really understand. And they're great. They're great yeah. in way, but I just think that with that particular training that they would just go off the charts yeah. being able yeah, I won't to disagree with you Kenny yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah. thank you so much right. I appreciate you um thank, thank you I appreciate you too I am dad podcast this won't be the last time I'll let you know when we want to follow up on the mediation thing thank you okay. so much and to everyone right. who is listening to I am dad podcast thank you so much for listening I appreciate you make sure you go to our website at www.iampodcast.com Make sure you leave your comments and make sure you follow us. It's important that you follow us. Make sure you hit that follow tab uh, so that you can stay up to date on all of the great conversations we're having as it relates to everything fatherhood right here on I Am That Podcast. Until next week, 
Take care. God bless. I'll see you soon. Take care, Kenny. Thank you so much for taking the time to spend with us. You've been listening to I Am Dad Podcast. We hope that you have been informed, encouraged you to think, or even inspired your heart for the love of dads. The conversation does not end here. Come back and join us next week. Same time, same place. Or you can continue the dialogue on our I Am Dad Facebook page. We also invite you to listen to past episodes, learn more about us, and keep up with special activities by visiting IamDadPodcast.com. That's IamDadPodcast.com. Until next time, I leave you with this reminder of manhood from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. When I was a child... I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Because of this reminder, I will always understand that I am dad, period.